what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. October 18th, 2019, episode number 101. 101 Dalmatians? Nope, 101 episodes. It was did anybody, oh. did anybody ever rock the 101 plate? Carter, what? did you not go to the races this year? I went to one, two, three. Number one, you, I don't know. I, I lost track. Three. Number number 101 this year and lately has been Mac McGrew, who's from Holly, Minnesota, and he rides a beautiful Honda RS750. Sorry. I know. You only pay attention to your phone and what's going on around you. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time. 101 episodes. We're, uh, what, three away from two-year celebration in the triple digits, uh, and we're going to talk to another champion this week. Back-to-back champions? Yeah. Which, uh, which, oh. which one do you think it is? Do you think it's Dalton, or do you think it's Texter? I don't know. You, you always surprise me and just start calling people. This one, I'll, I'll give you a clue. He's worked with Robbie Bobby as a tuner. Robbie Bobby was his mechanic? Yeah. That's both of them. I know it. I'll give you another ah. I'll give you another I'll give you another clue. They're Is both from Pennsylvania? from Pennsylvania. Yes. I mean I shit. Knew I mean, he's it. from I Pennsylvania. I knew you're going with that one. Uh and I'll give you uh another one. His sister races in the singles class. Well, that's got to be Mr. Corey Texter. Yeah, that one gave it away. That one gave it away. Yep. It's Corey Texter. You want to call did, it did, what? Did you know she's the winningest AFT singles rider in history? It's it's definitely something I think I hear every time I go to the track. The announcer seems but, to say it over the over the speakers. No, I I don't think I've ever I've only said that once or twice. It kind of hit me by surprise. I always say she's the only female to win mm. in AFT history. But, but she's the when winningest. They put out, she is the winningest AFT singles riders. So I would have thought huh. it, was, it was Brad Baker, but you got to look back, and she's been riding for a long time. So it is Shana Sexter. I did some research and made, you know, I double checked AFT's facts. Not just ah. the winningest female, the winningest of all time. Well, she's the only female, but she's yeah. the winningest AFT singles rider in history. That's crazy. Go, Shana. Exactly. You want to talk to her brother? Well, we talked to her boyfriend last week. We might as well talk to her brother. I know. What up, man? Is this the 2019 Production Twins champion, Corey Texter? Uh, yes, sir, man. How you doing? Man, I'm great, man. Uh, congratulations on the championship, man. I haven't, I haven't seen you since we got off the boat. Um, has it sunk in yet? Um, Yeah, I would say by now it's sunk in a little bit. I, I think that night right after it happened there was just a lot of emotions and i was uh i couldn't believe how it played out it didn't really sink in but this week um you know just kind of going through everything talking to sponsors and things like that it uh it definitely it's definitely starting to sink in a little bit uh how rewarding was it for you to win your first pro championship oh man it's it's it was big it was i mean it's it's a lifelong goal for somebody like me i grew up in the sport watched my dad race professionally um you know then we sponsored different riders over the years chris carr and brian bigelow and just guys like that through our dealership jared meese you know and and then growing up through the ranks and 
at one point I never thought something like, like this would happen. You know, I had a lot of tough years there. So for me, it's very rewarding to uh, finally make it happen. It, you know, it's really special. We talked to Briar last week and actually Shane was already, you know, fooling around with a great big number one. And he said he wanted to keep the same font as he had on the 14. So is uh, Shane going to design your number one also? Nah, man, I already, I already got, uh, somebody already laid, laid a design out for me and, um, she was already critiquing it, of course, but, uh, <laughs> no, nah, I, uh, I got something laid out already. It, it's crazy, man. Like even that night, somebody wanted me to sign Corey Texter number one. And it was just like, that was, that's when, that was probably the most surreal, surreal moment of the whole experience it was just, um, signing number one for the first time and, and just seeing, you know, somebody photoshopped one of my sponsors photoshopped a number one on the bike I rode this year and just right. seeing it on the bike, even though it was photoshopped, it was like, damn, that's, that's sick. Like <laughs> I ain't mad about it. So no, it, it was cool, man. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I, this sport is near and dear to me. And since I was born, it's been one of my goals. You know, a lot of people strive for goals and they never reach them. So for me to finally reach one of those main goals in my career, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Let's go ahead and recap the 2019 season. You started off with a bang, winning the first three rounds at Texas, Paris, and Lexington. So two half miles and a mile. So any of those three races really stick out to you, or they just wins just coming easy for you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Texas was cool. Um, obviously, going into the season, a lot of people. They don't talk about it now because now that I've won the championship, but coming into the season, I was, I was a huge underdog. I mean, you see all the stuff on social media, oh, who's going to win the, you know, who's going to win the production twins season opener. And I wasn't on anybody's, um, you know, list to even make the podium. I, mean, I think there's probably a hundred different people and no one picked me to even podium. So, um, so that was, you know, really cool. I, I, I believed in myself, you know, this winter, I moved my family down to Florida and we trained really hard and I got humbled all, all winter long by Briar and Jared Vanderkoy and Brandon Robinson and just trained with some really good guys all winter. And I was very prepared coming into the start of the production twin season. So to win Texas and Paris and Lexington, it was going according to plan and everything was going well, but um, nothing really stands out. It was just kind of you know, I, I remember winning Paris. Uh, um, I gave LJ, my team owner, a victory ride, and uh, I looked back at him on the victory ride, and I was like, "Hey, man, this is awesome, but we got more work to do." I'm like, "Let's let's keep let's keep it going." So, definitely was enjoying the moment, but um, was just mainly focused on that end goal. I got you. So we go on to Lima, and I, you know, honestly, going into Lima, I had you picked as one of the front runners because I've seen you on a cushion. I know what you can do on a cushion, and when I talked to you on the pit walk that day, I remember looking back and, and, and you said that's one you weren't, you just wanted to gain a few points and move out of there, but you finished off second. So you had to have been proud with that too. Yeah. I love cushion tracks. The frame that we ride that we use, it's typically not known as a cushion bike. You know, everyone that's ridden it, they've seen the kind of struggle on cushions with that frame. So I was kind of nervous a little on how the bike would work, but the main goal for that day was kind of just maximize what I do well, get good starts. And Lima is always a really hot, hot day. And you got to be in, in great shape for that racetrack. And I feel like my, um, my training is really, really good. And I just tried to do it, you know, do what I can do best and, and get out of there with some good points. And we got second, heck we almost won the thing. Um, so felt really good about Lima and, um, that track's 
awesome. So badass, man. I love riding Lima. The fans are awesome. So Lima was good. Um, didn't get the win, but it was still a really good day. My buddy Chad won, so that was a bonus for me. Just, I like seeing my friends do well, and for him to grab a win after um, like a disappointing start to his season was uh, was really cool. Right on. Let's go to Black Hills. Uh, I, I had you picked as one of the front runners there for sure. You typically like uh, clay ovals like that. And I think, uh, you know, when you guys went out on that uh, siding lap, the track was really slick and you got really sideways. And and I think that was uh, the deciding factor. You ended up with a sixth place finish. So what was it about that day that stood out to you? Yeah, Black Hills is one of the tracks I was most looking forward to all year, honestly. I've had some good finishes um, good finishes there in the Premier Twins class. And, man, for whatever reason, we just that was the first kind of racetrack all year where we struggled with the bike. And it seemed like the more we did to it, the worse it got. I remember I started on the second row, and I almost pulled the whole shot from the second row. I think I was up to second at one point and just couldn't get anything going with the motorcycle. Um, actually, I was kind of happy – you know, the last lap, Colby got behind me for six, and um, I buried in the turn three. I didn't lift the damn throttle. I wanted to get that sixth place back. So I fought for every every position we, we earned there at Black Hills. You know, we got six, but it was a really hard-fought sixth place. Um, but that was kind of a bummer. Yeah, I was, uh, I was definitely hoping for a lot more at that race. And then just a few days later, we head out west to Sacramento. You got a fourth-place finish there. I kind of expected you on the box at that one as well. Yeah, you had a lot of faith in me all year, Scotty. I did. I um, did. <laughs> no, nah, honestly, like, yeah, I mean, for SAC, everything was going well. The track was a little a little different this year in Sacramento than it's been in years past. Typically, SAC's a really smooth, abrasive groove, and um, it gets really fast. And a lot of the racetracks towards the end of the year just weren't what I was expecting. They caught me off guard. They were a little rough and um, just not – what they typically have been in years past and Sacramento was one of them and felt good in my semi, you know, I beat, beat both the Harleys in the semi. And, you know, I think my fastest lap in the semi was half a second faster than the other semi or whatever. So felt really good going into the main event. And that was the racetrack. They actually overwatered it and we did the warm up lap and I got super sideways, almost pitched it away. And it kind of spooked me for the first few laps there. And, then I had some other issues throughout the main event. Um, I hate making excuses. So I won't like, you know, be specific on what we were dealing with, but a couple of things were, um, some things were going on during that main event that I had to kind of battle through. And, um, man, I just missed the podium at that race. I think, uh, I think Colby got us at the line. It was me for Spoli and Carlisle. And I just missed the podium. So one of a few races there towards the end of the year that I, I wish we would have done better at for sure. And I think the next race you probably wish you would have done better at, too. Uh, Springfield Mile Weekend, we raced on Saturday and then again on Monday. And a ninth-place finish on on Saturday. What happened there? Yeah, if you told me going into Springfield I would have got ninth and fourth, I would have been been very disappointed, and and I was. It was, um, you know, I've podiumed there in the premier class, so Springfield was a disaster for me in my eyes. You know, on one side of it, you know, there was some crashes there, and I'm, I'm... I'm very thankful I was able to leave there and, and um, healthy and in one piece. Seeing Jeremy crash was, was really tough for me. Um, I've been racing Jeremy for a long time, so that was, that was a bummer. I've been thinking about him since he, since he crashed there at Springfield. But, yeah, it's just one, that was one of those days where I've never ridden the track at Springfield where we rode the top like that. Every time I've ridden there and I've done well, we've kind of road raced it around the bottom. So it was hard for me to get used to that racetrack and 
everything we did to the bike, it just kept getting worse and worse on that first day. Um, the second day we actually changed everything over to what, you know, we were successful with at the races in the beginning of the year and I got a fourth and, um, man, I think the second day, another lap or two, I might've been able to win that thing. I was really coming on strong, but yeah, the first day was just, it was just tough. I mean, ninth. Yeah. Like I said, if you told me that's how we would have finished at those two races, I would have, um, I would have, you know, wouldn't have believed you. So, but that's racing. It was good. Um, you know, winning the first three races of the year, um, was good, but it was also good to kind of have some bad finishes to just to, you know, show everybody how talented those riders were in that class, you know, it wasn't easy. So, you know, I couldn't just ride around and finish well. I had to work for it. And Springfield was one of those days where, and that was a hard fought ninth place too, man. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was like 14th at one point, at one point in the main event. So it was a hard fought ninth place. And at the end of the race, I was all by myself, all by myself in ninth place. It wasn't even like I was catching anybody, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was one of those days that I, uh, I wouldn't say I want to forget about it, but, um, we definitely learned a lot after that race for sure. Okay. So is is right about now in this part of the season, when I think I remember seeing the seven time champ, Chris Carr show up with a G and G shirt on. So how did that come about? And was that at Springfield or did he come on board at Williams Grove? Yeah. I mean, me and Chris, I, we go way back. Um, he rode for my, my dad sponsored his program when he was winning championships. And I, I call him uncle Chris. He's been, uh, he's been there for me since I've been, since I've been a kid. So I called him up. Actually, I called him up after Sacramento because, you know, I got a sixth and a fourth out there and I just didn't feel like myself. So I called him, you know, after those two races, because I felt like I struggled out West and we go to Springfield and we struggle even more. And, um, there's just a lot of things we were dealing with in the middle of the season as a team and, you know, with myself that, um, that I didn't really talk about much publicly because I still had a goal I had to focus on. And it really doesn't matter what you deal with throughout the season. Everyone's dealing with something. You still got to strive and push forward toward that end goal. And I felt like Chris could kind of help me, you know, improve. I mean, I'm 32. I'm, I think I'm one of the oldest riders in the class with the most experience and, for me to call Chris and um, as a rider coach at age 32, somebody that's podiumed in the premier class multiple times. I think it says a lot about how bad, how badly I wanted to win that championship. And, um, you know, Chris came on board and he was huge, man. He, he helped, uh, you look at pictures of me from the beginning of the season and you look at pictures of me at the end of the season, you know, I won, I, I was more successful in the beginning of the year, but I really feel like the last few rounds, I'm more proud of how I rode than I was in the, in the beginning. And I, I definitely think Chris was a big reason for all of that. So it was, uh, it was good for him to be there. It definitely helped a lot. Do you, do you think just having him in your corner gave you a little boost of confidence? I mean, is that it? Or did he tell you to do some certain things on the, on the, on the track or on the bike? Or what do you think it was that made, made that, that work for you? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing with Chris is not only is he a phenomenal rider, but he's uh he's so smart, you know. I'm I'm a student of the sport, you know, I'm uh I'm always kinda watching film and I'm very calculated in what I do and, and Chris is the same way, but just so much more experienced than I have. And he knows me as a person. It wasn't like you know, he watched me grow up. He knows what kind of makes me tick a little bit at the track. And he was pretty much there to calm me down when I was stressing. And, 
helped me with, we worked on body positioning and just things like that, some racecraft. And it was, it was the, the total package really. I mean, he, he helped the team set the bike up and yeah, he was a huge asset to what, what we had there the second half of the year. And yeah, it was, it was just really cool having him there at the track. We had a good time. It was, uh, Chris is real serious and he tries to, uh, to like put that, you know, I'm serious. We're here to win vibes, but He's so fun to joke around with, and I give him shit all the time. Just um, you know, he gives it right back. He's definitely like an uncle to me, and it was uh, it was cool to have him there. And yeah, it definitely gave me some confidence. I think it was cool. Well, it definitely paid off. We go to Williams Grove, uh, you know, a track kind of in your backyard, and you pull up uh, a podium finish there with third. Um, anything stick out on that day? Yeah, Williams Grove was good. You know, we tested the couple days before Williams Grove, and going into that race i felt really confident we got third um i remember i got a bad start in that main event i think that was the difference maker there you know i think varns we have varns won that race and dalton was second and they both were really good i know our lap times compared to the uh premier class they were very good you know a lot of the races this year i would kind of look at the lap times with, with you know in our class and compare them to the premier class just to see where i was at a little bit and I know Williams grew. We were very competitive with the top guys, um, or at least the top 10 in the other class. So, yeah, I would have liked to win that one because that was uh, obviously my home race, and I felt really good. I think I qualified fastest the last round, and, yeah, I felt good. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to get back on the podium. I kind of forgot what that felt like uh, at that point in the year, and so that was good. Right on. So three three riders from Pennsylvania on the podium in Pennsylvania. And how cool is it that Ryan Varns kind of kind of coming into his own here, uh, you know, kind of late in the season? Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that me and Ryan are good friends. You know, I kind of help him a little bit with his training, and we run together and go to the gym and watch Ryan grow up. You know, Kevin Kevin Varns is one of my favorite riders as a as a kid. I loved watching Kevin, and you know, the Varns and the Texter family. We've always been really close, and for Ryan to. Uh, have a good season was cool, but at the same time, it wasn't cool because <laughs> uh, he was uh, kind of kept kept me on my toes there toward the end of the year. But um, yeah, I've always believed in Ryan. I know he's a really good rider, and he's got some things he needs to fine tune a bit. But um, he's only going to be stronger and get faster as he gets older and kind of learns things, you know. And um, the clay half miles like Rapid City and Williams Grove, he definitely definitely was fast on those two tracks. All right, so we move on from Pennsylvania. We go to Minnesota, a fourth-place finish there, a pretty solid finish. Were you happy with that? Um, Not really, Scotty. I mean, the end of the year from Rapid City on, I, don't, I wouldn't say there was any race that I was completely happy with. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, you know, super bummed about Minnesota um, with the way the track was and, you know, some more injuries there with, with uh, James Monaco and J.R. Addison. It was uh, – you know, it was good to get out of there and healthy and um, and all that. But um, I know towards the end of the main event there, I was really making up time on Cody Johncox for the last podium spot. And it would have been cool to get on the podium. But um, I'm a very calculated rider, as I've said before. And I knew where I was in the championship. But, um, yeah, I mean, would have liked to um, get on the podium and win more races than what we did. And Minnesota was okay, but I was definitely expecting more at that race, too. Okay, so the Meadowlands, coming in, you had a pretty decent margin. You go out there, Colby Carlisle's leading the main event, he breaks, then you're way out in front, and a lap and a half or maybe less than that, your bike quits. Did you, What was going through your mind, and how nervous were you on, on this final day of the, the season? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I knew Colby was, you know, they changed motorcycles the last few rounds of the year and he really started riding that bike really well. And for me, um, I, I know I could have rode harder, you know, maybe Minnesota, I could have, could have went a little harder and chased after them guys a bit. Um, even Meadowland, you know, it's, um, I know your co-host Carter, I listened to the, um, the podcast last week and he said, if Colby didn't miss that one round at Paris, he might've been the champion. And, and it's so hard to, um, it's so hard to predict the what ifs throughout a championship season because everyone's game plan changes throughout the year. Um, you know, I think I tried to manage the points a little too much middle of the season. I was kind of, okay, well, I need to beat this guy. I need to stay ahead of this guy. And, um, I kind of got away from what made me successful to start the season. I should have just focused on winning races and being the best, the best version of myself that I can be. Because if I bring the best version of Corey Texas to the racetrack, it's, um, you know, I feel like I'm very tough to beat. And I kind of got away from that towards the end, end of the year there. But as far as the Meadowlands go, my plan was just to get the job done. Eighth place or better. You know, if Colby won, I had to be eighth or better. So, um, you know, the track was brutal as we all know. Um, they, uh, they did the, um, premier class. They did eight laps. So it was a tough track and I got a good start and the plan was just to run up front and get the job done. And Colby got by me and I had no desire to be up there racing that hard. And, and, uh, I'm just going to kind of sit in behind him and see where that, uh, you know, see where that gets me at the end of the race. And he started to kind of pull away and then he broke. And once he broke, I kind of knew that I had the championship locked up. So I sort of loosened up a bit felt like I started riding really well and uh you know a couple laps ago I'm like man this is going to be sick you know I'm going to win the race and, and the championship it, you know it'd be nice to kind of get another win come around and the bike broke and <laughs> super devastated for that to happen because you know winning is obviously really awesome it would have been cool to kind of put an exclamation point on the year but it wasn't meant to be Scotty I mean it um everything happens for a reason and that's uh that's the way it was meant to happen i uh, meant for it to happen i guess so it was tough but um lost about battle won the war so that was the main goal was to win the championship and it was still cool to get that done before we move away from meadowlands so in your opinion Corey, what was it about the meadowlands track that made it so treacherous i heard different comments like some people said it was the the, the breaking bumps going into the corners some people said it was vision what was it to you that made the track so difficult yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, the track was really rough. Turns one and two were really rough. There were some big holes. and um, Vision for me wasn't a problem, but I was getting good starts, so I wasn't really buried in the pack at all. So I don't know about the vision. Um, I know Shana told me the vision was really tough, so she's a very intelligent rider, so I take her word for it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, turns three and four in the main event, I thought were really good. I was having a lot of fun in those corners. And then one and two, every time I'd come around, I'd hit like six holes, almost go over the handlebars, and uh, just very thankful. I remember each lap I got through turns one and two, I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't crash that lap. <laughs> let's, let's get gotcha. through this next lap. And it was mainly just turns one and two, you know, just some big holes on the racetrack. And going that fast on a mile, hitting those holes is what makes it challenging. Um, you know, obviously Lyme is really rough, and we race cushion half miles that are, are rough and and things like that but we're going much much slower on a half mile than we are on a mile so yeah so that made it tough scotty with how fast we go and then to have the holes and ruts on top of it it was it was challenging i mean i actually 
I actually like rough track, you know, but there's definitely a fine line between, you know, rough and like borderline, like, man, this is like a plowed cornfield. So, and, uh, Meadowlands, it was kind of right around like that, that breaking point where it's like, man, you know, maybe we shouldn't be out there. So. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, mile tracks should not be rough at all. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I just got to say that, you know, when you when you had a bad day, you still managed to salvage as many points as you could. And I think that definitely helped you go on and win that championship. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we had a good year. Everyone talks about, you know, how well I did in the beginning of the season. And uh, the only reason he won the title is because they were more prepared than the other teams. And they say that in a way that um, that is like kind of degrading, but I feel like all of the hard work we put in leading up to the we season started. I mean, that was just us working hard. Uh, I did Daytona. I did Atlanta, um, rode the production twin in the premier class. I think being consistent was, was important. You know, I was, I was happy with the season, but there's definitely a lot of things I can do better. And I could have done better this year. I mean, we got the three wins, so we won more than anybody else in the class. But there was a lot of races that we, I thought we should have been on the podium or even won, won a couple of races there at the end of the year. I think we missed two races, missed the podium in um, Sacramento and the second day at Springfield by a tenth of a second. So that's like a flick of your fingers. And Minnesota, we got fourth, missed the podium there. But I think another lap or two, we could have maybe got on the box at that race. And obviously Meadowlands, we broke leading the race. So I think there was a lot of races we could have done better, but the end goal was to win a championship. And I'm, I'm very happy with, with the end goal, but there was definitely a lot of races this season that I look back on and I'm a little disappointed in myself and I definitely could have rode better. And that's something that if we're going to repeat next year, um, not sure what my plan is, but if we go and we, we do this again next year and try and defend the number one plate, there's definitely some things I need to do better and step up. And, and that's what we're going to work on this winter, try to improve and even get better next year. So that was, that was actually my next question. Uh, you don't have plans yet for 2020. And are you trying to wait and see what happens with the super twins or everything's just still up in the air right now? Um, not really waiting to see what happens with that because, um, it's not really for me to run the super twins. It would, it would have to be a really good deal and a good program. And I just don't see that happening right now. I just don't think there's a lot of opportunities in the super twins class. So for me, it looks like I'll probably do the production twins again. And I'm hoping to stay with G and G racing. Those guys are awesome. And, um, I, I owe a lot of my success this season to, to that team, LJ and John, they, I couldn't have asked for better bikes to ride. Um, but I'm just not sure yet. I mean, we're only a week and a half, two weeks out from the last race and, um, not really sure what my plan is, but it looks like I'll probably do the production twin series again. And like I said, there's definitely a lot that we can do better, a lot that I can do better as a rider. And I think that's something that really helps me. I don't train aimlessly. I know there's things I need to work on and I'm very specific on improving those areas where a lot of other riders are younger and they kind of train, but they don't train. Like it's not with, um, like a scheduled program. They kind of just do things they think is going to help and hope it pays off. But for me, I know there's um, very specific things I can do better as a rider and, and I'm willing to work hard to do it. You know, I was talking to somebody today and they're like, Hey, you know, I was actually Chris Carr. I was talking to, and he was talking to me. We're already trying to, you know, figure out things that I can do better as a rider to work on. 
and I told him, I'm like, man, you, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, I'll work hard. And, um, I think that's one thing people that, you know, they can't take away from me is I'm, I'm a hard worker. And when I have a goal in front of me, I, I do whatever I can 110% every single day to, uh, to chase after it. I've always felt I kind of, I don't have the talent that a lot of these guys have in the sport for what I don't have in talent. I need to make up for in hard work. So definitely not afraid to work hard and we'll see what happens, but definitely going to put in a lot of effort and we'll see what uh, happens here in coming months, I guess. Right on. I like that answer a lot. So our next question is actually from a super fan who listens to every episode of off the groove. And, and he wanted to know, do you think you would have won the championship if Shana would have raced the production twin series. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm not, I'm not sweating Shana, dude. I mean, I taught her everything she knows. So, oh my gosh. um, just, just got to get in her head a little bit. No, um, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I think Shana would be a very, very tough production twins rider. Um, people would like to discredit her ability to ride a twin, but, they won't discredit her ability to ride a twin if she finds a good twin to ride that she's comfortable on because, you know, production twins, we don't race TTs. And last year we didn't race short tracks. I think we're racing them this year, or sorry, next year. But as far as riding a twin on a half mile or mile, if Shana's dialed in on a good twin, she'd be very, very tough to beat on some of those racetracks. So again, I, there's definitely things that Shana does well that I don't do well. And there's things that I do well that Shana doesn't do well. So it would be interesting to uh, <laughs> to see how that would play out, but I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty confident in myself. I feel like uh, feel like when it comes to riding a twin, if I give it my best and I'm riding at my best, I feel like I'm as good as anybody out there. So it's always been a challenge to bring that best version of myself to the track every weekend. Um, I think a lot more than Shana. Shana's, you know, I'm really calculated. I kind of play things out in my head, and Shana's like the dragon slayer like she's just blue steel i mean she comes to the track and just nothing gets her excited nothing you know nothing works her up she doesn't care about what anybody thinks about her she goes out there and she rides and um she's very focused so yeah i'm, I'm glad i don't have to race her though because last year kind of sucked racing her racing your sister and most right. of the races she kicked my ass last year so that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of not fun <laughs> right. but um no nah, it was it was it'd be cool i guess but not that cool <laughs> so so that super fan question came from the one and only briar bauman by the way just letting you know that oh my god what a squid <laughs> um well i've i've been telling briar if for some reason i do get a super twins ride he's number one in super twins i'm number one in production twins it's only fair if we like rock, paper, scissors to see who gets to run number one, because, uh, we both are number one. So technically he got it in super twins, but I don't know. I think it's only fair that we do like a rock, paper, scissors, or like an XR 100 race in the woods, something along the lines to see who, who's going to actually run the number one next year. But, uh, well, he's not really for it. He, he kind of claimed yeah. it already, which I think, I think both, the, <laughs> both of you should, you, you run a black plate with the white number one and he runs a, a white plate with the black number one. And, and if you move up, just both run it and see what they say. For people listening that think I'm serious, I'm totally kidding. Briar is the Briar is the Grand National Premier Champion, and I'm just the production champion. So um, our fans they um, can't take jokes. Oh, they get worked up, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. they get super worked up. So um, no, Briar, um, man, for for me, 
I made a post last week, you know, to share the stage at the banquet with Briar and Dalton was, was amazing. You know, I was, um, I was more nervous watching Briar this year and hoping he did well. than I was me racing and wanting to do well. I, um, you know, there was times where I'd get done, I'd be so pissed off that I didn't do well. And I would just immediately go watch Briar and just root for Briar. And, um, for him to do what he did this year is, is outstanding. And I'm super proud of him. And after he won in Minnesota, it was like, if I won, it, it just felt like a bonus for me because I, you know, we're like a big family and a big team and, um, for Briar to win, it felt like I won. So it was definitely, definitely cool for him to reach his, uh, reach his goals. And, and then to finish it off winning my own championship the next weekend was, was pretty special. Well, I have to say, you know, if you, if you really think about it, Briar lives in Pennsylvania with your sister and Dalton's from Pennsylvania and you're from Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania just pretty much took all three championships. Yeah, I mean Jared Meese is from Pennsylvania, and he's won quite a few in the last decade. So that's, um, that's true. Bromley's from Pennsylvania too. Bromley's from Pennsylvania. Right. So exactly. Yeah, District Six, bud, rep- represent. Um, All right. And there's and there's a lot of other fast District Six riders. Brandon Price won Rookie of the Year. So who won the Rising Stars? Oh, Dallas Daniels. Dallas Daniels. No, he's not yeah. from District Six. Yeah. Nah, I can't claim him. I guess, but um, <laughs> no, there's a lot of fast riders, man. I mean. I, I kind of get Briar's the California kid. I mean, we'll claim him, I guess. Um, we don't have a choice in the Texter household, so we will claim Briar, but he's technically from California. But then people from Michigan try and claim Jared, which we usually accept. Um, but when it comes to championships, those are Pennsylvania championships. Um, so we'll take Jared's five, and California gets Briar's first championship kind okay. of how it works so all right sounds good um, so, but chris Carr has seven and he's from pennsylvania now so that kind of so gets you, complicated i guess we'd like to claim right. those i guess but we'll see. You just pick pick which ones you want to claim so uh you got anything fun you're gonna do on the off season man i've been so busy already i'm already driving my wife crazy i um i got a big race i plan every winter every january in uh, callahan florida called the winter throwdown i've been wide open planning that race um, just spending time with my son, Cruz. He's two, he's uh, a little over two right now. So doing things with him, taking him to the park. Um, we actually, me, Jared Vandercoy, Brandon Robinson, James Raspoli, my buddy, Noah, I actually, we just planned a 580 mile bicycle ride. We're going to do in November and we're going to raise money for the 400 riders that we have right now. Cycling from the Florida, Georgia line, all the way to Key West, Florida. So we're going to cycle the entire coast of Florida wow. in one week. We're going to do we're going to do 580 miles in one week, um, basically 100 miles a day for six days straight. Um, that's amazing. That's fun. I that's fun. I guess. Um, <laughs> Sounds like work to uh, me. Man. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. I uh, kind of talked Vandercoy and Brandon into it. It's something that I wanted to do, and I didn't want to do it solo. And then Rispoli saw that we were going to do it. He's like, dude, I'm in, let's do it. So yeah, it'll be, um, it'll be fun when we start, but probably won't be that fun around day three or four, but it's for a good cause, uh, trying to raise as much money as we can for our brothers that are injured. And yeah, it should be a, should be a good time. It'll be fun. You should get AFT to follow you around with cameras and stuff like that and record it and try to raise even more money. I mean, might as well. Yeah, uh, eventually, Scotty, my goal, I have two, actually, I have a few goals, but I'd like to, 
in the next five years, I'd like to cycle across America. Um, there's, um, there's a route that crazy people do, um, that I'd like to be one of them. And <laughs> it's from uh, Oregon to Virginia. And if you, if you cycle almost every day, um, I think like 80 miles a day, you can do it in two months. So that's oh kind of something gosh. I want to build up to. Yeah. I wow. want to build up to it. And so this is a good first kind of mini journey. So yeah, we'll see what happens. It should be fun. But other than that, not much else planned. Um, I'll probably do Timoni Vindors once again. I'll do uh, a couple off season races here and there, but just trying to um, just train and, and um, get better for, for next season. It's uh, everyone's going to get better. So I need to kind of do the same and um, yeah, just a lot of hard work and, things like that okay so are you going to do what you did at the amateur nationals again with you know ctr cortex or racing to help out amateurs or is that a one-time deal or you know it seemed like a very successful venture that you guys did are you going to do that again in 2020 yeah certainly i'm uh i'm already working on that too um gonna get some items together here and try and auction them off i just um with my program you know i, I do it through online auctions and I do it through donations. I don't have a ton of extra money to put toward the program. Last year, we raised about six grand. So I was able to send eight kids to the amateur nationals. And right now with, you know, there's a lot of injured riders out there that, that need people's donations more than I do for my amateur program. So it's just not great timing to, um, to put things out there for, for something that, you know, isn't quite as important as what, what we're dealing with as a Fudger community with our injured riders. So I want people to kind of donate to them and help their families out as much as possible. But yeah, we're certainly, we're going to do the same thing around the same, you know, I'd like to take about eight riders again and it'll be a similar program. I just created a uh, Instagram page for the amateur team. It's just a CTR amateur team on Instagram and going to put okay. updates on there and kind of highlight, highlight amateur riders a bit and, and uh, keep people up to date on, on that program and when they can apply and things like that. So yeah, that was a huge success. That was maybe the, the highlight of my year, you know, with everything that I did, um, in addition to Briar winning that amateur thing that I did and seeing the, the seeing the, how happy those kids were at that race and that event and the success that they had and their families enjoying the week. That was, um, that was really special for me and, um, something I enjoyed. And I want to keep doing. That's really cool. I got uh, just a couple more questions for you. What do you think of when you hear off the groove, what comes to mind? Well, now I think of the podcast right away, but man, I'm a groove track rider. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, I've ridden a lot of grooves in my life. So off the groove means that I've screwed up and I need to get back on the groove. Um, yeah. For yeah. Briar, getting off the groove is usually where he makes his money. So I'm more of a on the groove guy. Off the groove, if I say like, man, I got off the groove, it's usually like followed by Whoop. an excuse, like why, <laughs> why I got off the groove. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> um, yeah, so I make my money on the groove where, you know, Briar and, oh, man, Sammy Halbert and some of those other guys, they make their money <laughs> off the groove, which is kind of what you guys do. I, you don't make really much money doing it or any money, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. So. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the answer on that one. And, it, and it's time for Graham's question. She actually just sent it to me. She says, what's the longest time that you've spent away from cruise and, and how does he handle that when you're gone? Cruz went to, I think, every race this year except for Texas. Um, the races in California, I drove. I drove the first trip out to California with a buddy, and Amber and Cruz flew out. The second trip, they actually drove with me the whole way. We did Rapid City, Sacramento, and then back home. So I think the longest I've been away from him this year was Texas, which was 
four days and yeah. it sucked, man. I mean, he's my life. So, um, to be away, be away from him was super tough to win. The race was kind of, a, a, it was, you know, good consolation, but it would have been so much better for my family to be there and for Cruz. Um, with him, it's just, you know, leading up to Meadowlands and the end of the championship there and things were getting kind of stressful and what I found closure with and what made things better. And I was more at ease and peace with everything is just knowing, you know, waking up in the morning, looking over and seeing Cruz and, and my wife and just um, being super thankful and grateful for them. Um, knowing that, you know, I have them in my life. If things don't, if I don't reach my goal, it's not the end of the world. You know, racing is a big part of my life, but it doesn't define me a hundred percent. It's not, it's not who I am. You know, it's, it's a big, you know, it's a hobby. And at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, there's things in life that are more important than winning races and winning a championship. And I, um, I want to be remembered for my character in the sport more than I do wins and losses. Um, I think that's, you know, no one will really remember, you know, that I won the production twin championship in a decade from now, but, they'll hopefully remember me for having good character and, you know, showing respect to my peers and, you know, trying to promote the sport and help people out. And that's kind of what I focused on the most. And a lot of that, a lot of what I've learned with that comes from being a father. And that's been a really, really cool journey. So. Right on. Being a dad definitely changes things for sure. So we're at the very end of the episode and it's your, your time to give thanks to anybody you'd like to. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Um, G&G Racing, first off, you know, LJ and John, without them, wouldn't have uh, been able to uh, to do this. Nobody wanted to really, no one wanted to ride their bikes this off season, and uh, nobody wanted to hire me to ride any bikes. <laughs> we kind of were two misfits that came together and won a championship. So I appreciate them um, helping me reach my goals. And just like people that helped me out along the way, Chris Carr, John Reed, my buddy, Julian, who I made take off work multiple times to come with me to the track, help me drive. My buddy Adam Renshaw, my wife, of course. Without her, I wouldn't have been able to uh, to do this. She put up with a lot of shit, especially the last month of the year. And uh, I appreciate her for for being there and cooking me breakfast every morning and um, doing my laundry and things like that. Tucker Power Sports, whole whole shop Power Sports, Bell Helmets. They were huge in my success this year. Alpine Stars, No Tool, Fredericktown Yamaha the whole Riley family, they were there for me, helped me out all season and calling me, keep me motivated, kicker audio, motion pro, West coast hot shoes. There's just a lot of people that help me out. I try, I'm um, trying not to forget anybody, but just my family, my mom, my grandparents, and just the people I race with. Um, uh, I'm actually really appreciative of, uh, the guys I ride with and train with and they, they bring the best out in me. And I, um, definitely appreciate that. And all my friends for, keeping the year fun and um all the fans for supporting me and that keeps me going too so, so i appreciate everybody for their support yeah hopefully uh do it again next year sounds good Corey. thanks for your time congratulations on the production twins championship and uh, good luck at your winter throwdown coming up in january yeah hopefully hopefully see carter down there i know he's not far from uh from callahan and uh maybe you can Swing over, find your bike to ride, pull that 43 out of retirement, spin some laps or something. <laughs> I don't think Appreciate they have a slow guys Thank class. Guys. I, I don't think they have a slow guys class anymore, Corey. Oh, come on, man. National number, dude. We'll find a spot for you. All right, man. Corey, thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya. Corey Mother Texter. 
<laughs> Radical Racer 65 to you. That is his handle, right? Radical Racer. Yep. At, at AOL.com, I think. Radical Racer 65 AOL.com. That was his old screen name, I think. He's Does that dude ever slow down? He's always doing so much stuff. It's the off season. Dude, Corey, take a break. Relax, buddy. He's not going to. I love how he's planning this bicycle ride going all the way down the whole state of Florida. He's yeah. got his son riding bikes. He's got, you know, different people come in and out of the house and hang out with them and, and train with them. Uh, man, that kid, he's not a kid anymore. He's 32, but he's still younger than me, so he's still a kid. But, man, he has always got something going on. Always. And it's funny how he mentioned the point that I made about uh, Kobe Carlisle beating him in production twins. <laughs> Well, I mean, you were you were right though. He, he, I mean, he, if he's right, if, though, you can't speculate. Like, you could have right. played, could have, would have, should have. The whole he's the champion. You can't take that away from him at all. And I believe if you listen to that, what I said, the next line that I said, I can't take anything away from Texter. Absolutely, and and you know what? Everything happens for a reason, like Corey said. And if if Kobe would have been up there, maybe Corey would have been trying harder. Yep. Maybe he could have make. Maybe he could have won more races. You just never know. I mean. When you're when you're in a points lead for a championship, maybe you start riding a little bit more conservative. Yeah. But if, if somebody's closing in on you, then you have to step it up. So well, and you know, it's hard to say. Texter's had seasons too where he's been injured too, right? So like you can't, and he's done well. So like you can't you can't take away from anybody. He is the champion hands down, and he deserved it for sure. And it's cool to do that in the first season of the Production Twins. Cool to walk through the season with him, hear the inside scoop and some of the stories uh, throughout the season that we might not have heard. I always like doing that, and uh, I think we have one more champion to talk to. So we'll try to line that up for next week? Let's do it. You want to? I think we should. I think he reached out to him a couple times. Maybe we might just have to cold call him. I think it's pretty crazy that Texter wasn't, like, firmed up for 2020. Well, a lot of people aren't. I I know we talked about a little bit last week on last week's episode, but, you know, uh, it's only a, a few weeks after the season. They have to sit back, reevaluate things, and see if it was beneficial, or see if you know there might be something better out there. And, and Corey's not completely ruling out racing in the the uh, Super Twins class, but he says it's going to have to be a super good deal to come along to make that move. It's not completely unheard of, too. I mean, you think about baseball or football or basketball. You know, a championship team wins wins it all. There's some of those people that fall off or go to different teams and, and jump jump ship or you know find another ride or get offers that or, that are worth it right or even retire you know i mean that's, yeah. that's even happened before i mean you know i look at you know, i'm a broncos fan i look at you know peyton manning he comes in and wins championship and goes to commercial land yeah yeah man he's definitely got a few more years ahead of him in the in the series and and it'd be cool to see him go to the twins or you know stick in production twins and, and defend that number one plate i i think that's what he'll do i mean i'm, I'm just hoping the gng team comes back on board and it gives him a good solid horse to ride or maybe you know he, he might get something else to ride but you know just to see that number one plate out there would be really cool uh i think Corey deserves it he's he's put his time in he's been in this sport his whole entire life and and it's cool to, to see a texter winning a, a grand national championship in the production twins class could not agree more well two champions down one to go you want to talk again next week and try to do this again every friday we're going to talk let's do it why, why, why are you acting like it's a question? Because that's what I usually do. I throw something out there in the question form and you answer it. Do it again. Are you ready to go? Where are we going? To the end of the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Hey, Carter. What? If you're in Florida for the Daytona Biketoberfest, be sure and check out Johnny Lewis's race, Moto Anatomy. 
their flat track futures race going on at Volusia Speedway Park. That's tomorrow night. They're practicing tonight. An easy flat track fact of the week. The Daytona TT and the Daytona 200 will be combined for a doubleheader event Saturday, March the 14th. I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Until then, keep it on four wheels. We'll do. Have fun up in uh, where you Charlotte and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania You're gonna be a world traveler this week, yeah, so I'm going all over the have time. a good time. Yeah. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Smash that like button. Tell yeah. all your friends, and we'll talk to you guys next Friday. Peace. Congratulations. It would be awesome.